0: On Deck on Turning the Corner, the Athletics' Cody Stavenhagen and co-host Kieran Steckley discuss an up-and-down week for the Detroit Tigers, as well as a few nuggets for the upcoming MLB Draft. And welcome into another episode of Turning the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, The Athletics' Cody Stavenhagen. We are recording on Sunday, April 18th, and what undoubtedly has been a roller coaster week for the Detroit Tigers sweep the Houston Astros down in Houston and then just lay a dud. Lay a dud in Oakland to close out the week. Cody, I'm going to channel. My inner Dennis Green here for a second. The Tigers are who we thought they were. They have some exciting highs and some pretty drudging lows, and that's exactly what we saw this week.
1: Yeah, it's it's been a long week of watching the Tigers on the West Coast. I'm feeling it a little bit. I'm looking forward to this off day on Monday, and I'm sure it's even more so for the club. It's been like a weird, almost emotional week from the high of playing in Houston, AJ Hinch's return. Casey Mize's start, excitement, fun, great series. And then, yeah, the Tigers are who we thought they were. They were not going to continue playing at that level. I think you could, would hope for a little better than we've seen, at least in these first three games against Oakland. It's been pretty bad, two shutouts in a row, 12 walks the first game. So uh, it, it looks like two different teams, but that's also what you get with this group of young guys who are going to have the highs and lows like we've talked about. AJ Hinch said he doesn't like to ride the roller coaster, but I think the reality is this team is going to continue to be a roller coaster like this, uh, probably probably for most of this summer.
0: Well, that's quintessential young team trying to figure out their way. And yes, they do have some older guys, but you you brought up Casey Mize. Casey Mize, stellar start down in Houston, led Major League Baseball like headlines for a day. Akil Badu. Hottest bat in baseball there for a bit. <laughs> and then he goes, what, 0 oh, for his next 9 or something like that? That's and and, counts, yeah. and then Casey Mize really gets punished for the mistakes he makes when he gets his second star of the week in Oakland. And I'm looking at it, I think I still have a positive spin because that's kind of what you expect to go through. And if you can have those highs and ride out those lows, that's how a team grows. And, and having the leadership of A.J. Hinch, I don't want to ride the roller coaster. Well, you may not want to, but that's also, <laughs> what, that's also what you signed up for. But I don't mind seeing the team go through this because it's just part of the experience. You got to go on some bad days before you find your one true love. You know what I mean?
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: Speaking of lows, lows. Joe Jimenez. Gets the call up, and there really isn't much positive to say on him. He can't get through two innings. He's faced 10 batters and walked seven of them. And he, he just, he doesn't look like a major league pitcher, Cody. And I don't want to bag on, I, I don't like bagging on people, but he just looks like he can't pitch. And I and, and that's about as simple as I can kind of put it with Jimenez.
1: You know who has the best ERA on this team, Kieran? No, who's that? Harry. Harold Castro. Maybe oh, no. they should adopt oh, no. the the uh, Harold Castro approach for Joe Jimenez. Go up there, throw it as soft as you can, just get it over the plate. That's what they told Harold Castro before his one mop-up inning in the ninth in a blowout game. It looks like that's what they need to tell Joe Jimenez because nothing else is working. He's tried reshaping this breaking ball. A very good hard slider that he just wasn't quite consistent with. They've changed it into more of a curveball and it's not good. It's very loopy. He's not spotting his fastball. He's probably overthinking. The bottom line is, it's almost hard to walk 7 out of 10 batters. Like, that's almost difficult to accomplish. And here we are. Uh, it, you know, A.J. Hinch was asked about it after Saturday's game and basically said what I'm saying. is like, yeah, you can't do that. There's not much else to say. You can't do that. Um, it is not promising for Joe Jimenez. The Joe I've watched, I wouldn't be shocked if we continue to see some Jekyll and Hyde. Maybe he shoves his next time out, and then it's like, oh, is Joe back? You know, Because we've been experiencing that for about three years now. The reality is it's time to stop experiencing that. I don't think uh, the Hinch regime is going to have near as much patience for it. Um, but the reality is also you have to replace him with a better arm if you're going to really move on from Joe Jimenez. So I don't know exactly what the future holds, but... I hope we don't have to watch any more of that.
0: Well, I was about to say, he's still there. He's still going to have to go out and, and, and get some innings, right? Like, they're not they're not cutting him or anything. Uh,
1: I don't know. It's like one of those things, like, okay, you can't do this. You're going to, at the very least, get optioned again if you continue to pitch like this. But then it's like, okay, are we going to bring up, like... We're going to bring up Erasmo Ramirez, or like, I don't know. At this point, anyone. <laughs> at this point, Harold Castro might be better than Joe Jimenez, but like, I don't know. I don't know. It's one of those things where it seems like things are coming to a head. It's like, how much longer can you put up with this? But also, are you really just going to DFA Joe Jimenez? Like, I don't think you want him out there on waivers necessarily. Are you going to option him back, send him to the alternate site? Is that even productive? He's not going to be happy. He's, uh, You know, he hasn't done any interviews since his return, so I don't know. It's a weird, delicate, kind of hard situation for a guy that I think the front office especially has some loyalty to. Um, But at some point, like, this clearly isn't working. He didn't make the team out of camp. He got an opportunity thanks to injuries, and it's been really bad. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to keep trotting him out there, you know.
0: I don't even know how you coach that. It, it, I kind of think of it like uh, like if you're a defensive coach in football and you have the scheme and you have your defender there one on one against a ball carrier and he misses a tackle. Yeah. You coach them right? Like, how do you tell a guy to tackle a grown man who's played football for his entire life? How do you tell him? Uh, you have to tackle. Like, you have to do it. How do you tell a pitcher who's pitched his entire life a professional? Former all-star pitcher, star. Y- you have to throw strikes. Like, w- 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 the, I don't know if there's any. Like, I don't, like. I don't even know how you communicate that. Like, AJ's he doesn't have that much hair, right? But he's probably <laughs> pulling it out, seeing that.
1: Oh, that's that's that was the wrong Gardenhire joke. I pulled all my hair out. You know, but Gardy was bald on top. He, he said that quite often. Um,
0: I don't, don't know, blame like, him.
1: Yeah, like this is a former all-star it's not like he's coming off a major surgery it's almost kind of difficult to explain i think it i think it's probably more mental than physical but again how do you coach that that's where maybe sending this guy down until he figures it out is the proper and maybe the only course of action
0: now we we need to get to uh some injury notes No more mazara Strained oblique strain is a, is what we're officially calling it.
1: Yeah, left uh,
0: abdominal
1: strain. Abdominal
0: strain, and he's on the ten day, but that's probably gonna be longer, right?
1: Yeah, AJ Hinch says it's 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 gonna be longer. He said at least a couple of weeks. It's one of those things where it sounds like mazar is not even really gonna be swinging a bat until that abdominal section is totally healed, and then they kind of have to reintroduce this guy's a rotational swing, so. Puts a lot of stress on that oblique, that part of his body. It sounds like they want to kind of ease him back into hitting. Um, if you follow baseball, you know obliques and abdominal injuries can be sensitive with hitters. So Hinch says it's not anything super bad. Doesn't sound like it's going to be a move to the 60 day or whatever. But also says, like, we can't really know the exact timetable until we get him back swinging. So sounds to me like we're not going to see no more Mazzara for a while. Uh, which is unfortunate, but also kind of brings up what I said at the start of the season, which is this whole five-outfielder thing is probably going to sort itself out, and sure enough, it has. We're down to four outfielders, <laughs> and uh, if there's one person who should be happy, it's probably Jacoby Jones, who who uh, was getting squeezed out on playing time a little bit. The Mazar injury uh, kind of reintroduces Jacoby Jones to to the lineup, I think.
0: Was it safe to say that Akil Badu had more or less taken – jones's spot maybe not physically as a starter but like in the hierarchy of outfielders
1: yeah he was obviously getting the at-bats because he was hot but i think even in the hierarchy the upside we've seen from badu there's like some some incentive to play him whereas Jacoby, i don't know Jacoby has more than a thousand major league plate appearances like i i it makes sense why badu would have passed jones on the hierarchy again it doesn't it seems like jones is in this crop with Jimenez of guys who haven't quite endeared themselves to the new coaching staff as much, aren't, you know, gonna continue to get these opportunities they've gotten for the past couple of years. But like I've always said on Jacoby Jones, this is an extremely streaky baseball player. Um Badu maybe has cooled off. We said that last week and then he crushed it against the Astros. But I wouldn't be shocked if Jacoby gets going and gets hot. Um it does take it bats to get a guy going and it seemed like he was lacking those abs the mazara injury changes that equation
0: four for 29 so far and only one walk Uh, like you said very streaky and he's gonna have to turn that around in order i looked at it he's about to turn 29 he's not a pup no and you mentioned the new regime they're not just giving guys at bats for the sake of giving guys at bats i think that's one of my early impressions. And eventually I want to kind of dive into lineup decisions a little bit more, but that'll be for another podcast. But I think the days of just kind of throwing Jimenez out there because we, you know, he's a young guy and we want to see him having Jacoby Jones in the lineup because he is a guy that we trade for and we've developed a little bit. I think, I think that's over, man.
1: It's definitely over. I think what we've seen, we've already talked about this with Hinch is he's throwing guys out there and he's saying, Show me something. You know, Joe, you got an opportunity. Show me something. Alex Lang, you got an opportunity. Show me something. Lang's made the most of those opportunities for the most part. Um, you know, Matthew Boyd, all right. You want to be a start, you want to start opening day? Michael Fulmer, you want to be a starter? Show me something. Some of these guys have answered that that call, and some of them haven't. And I think we're starting to see a pretty clear separation between the two. And this new coaching staff isn't going to treat it with any sentimentality, I don't think. The only factor in this equation, again, is do you have someone to actually replace these guys? And that's what I think will will probably keep Jones and Joe hanging around a little longer because there's not a clear replacement, at least right now, once we get later into the season, especially into the offseason, could be a very different conversation.
0: Well, what can you hang your hat on with Jacoby Jones? Because I still can't figure out exactly how he grades out defensively because over the years he's... You know, been really good statistically speaking, and then he's you know cost the team runs over the course of a season. And then yesterday he could have made a pretty dang nice play in left field, you know, up against the wall, and he couldn't make it. I don't know how much to like harp yeah, on I'm him not, for it, not but not I criticize
1: someone for not making that play. But it's, yeah, it's, we've seen Jones make plays like that before. I think it's telling in itself that that Hinch has played Jacoby a lot more in left, and they think that's maybe where his strength lies maybe Victor Reyes doesn't have quite the same flair in center but if he's uh better prepared has better pre-pitch actions probably covers more ground than people give him credit for like I, I think that's telling and I like that configuration Jones and left Reyes and center you're going to cover those gaps really well that's what Hinch talked about in Oakland a place that has a big left center gap But was the new coaching staff think of Jacoby's defense? Well, it seems like they think he's a left fielder a little bit more than they think he's a center fielder.
0: And what does that mean if they think he's a left fielder more than a center fielder?
1: Well, number one, it means you better hit a little bit more. You know, There's not as much uh, forgiveness in terms of if you're playing a corner outfield spot, you have to produce some numbers, you have to hit for a little pop. Uh, We haven't seen that so far out of Jacoby this this year. Again, I'm sure he'll get hot at some point here uh, just because he's Jacoby. Um, But it's also not a vote of confidence for a guy who defense was supposed to be one of his plus tools, something that's kind of kept him around, something that's kept him being penciled in as the starting center fielder despite whatever he is, like a 218 career average entering this season. Um, So if he's not the plus center fielder that he was kind of billed to be a couple of years ago, you know, it's like, okay, the clock's ticking. Eventually, Eventually, we got Das Cameron coming up. Next year we got Riley Green coming up. I think there's room. I, I kind of wish I mean the Tigers already signed Grossman. I think they could add another outfield bat um next offseason. Hard to see, hard to see much room for Jacoby Jones sticking around a whole lot longer unless something changes. The way we've already seen maybe Jacoby g- goes on a tear, and then next week we're like, okay, is Jacoby Jones like for real? And it's like, let's look at let's take the long view here. Let's look at Jacoby's history. That's who he is. That's who he is.
0: You know, there's been a couple instances of us talking about something on this podcast and then it playing out pretty quickly. And last week it was, why isn't Badu playing center? And then what did he do? I think he started like two straight games yeah. in center and, and he's gotten some time in right field. Uh, I couldn't watch any of the Houston series because I'm, I'm in Dallas and that's blackout territory for uh, MLB.tv. And, you know, some people go with the illegal streams and or scramble the IP address or whatever. I typically don't want to bother with that. So I had to listen to it on the radio. Uh, any observations about Badu playing center or maybe even right because we don't really think he has a, a right-field arm, but, you know, they gave him opportunities there.
1: Am I, am I allowed to say this? Am I going to... The FBI are going to come after me? I don't believe in paying more money to do my job. I'm not on the road right now because uh, we're in a pandemic and I have YouTube TV, which does not carry Fox Sports Detroit right now. Do I want to, Sports, to, AT&T to pay more money? Bally Sports, excuse me. Excuse me. Much, uh, I would not want to upset the overlords at Sinclair. Do I want to pay more money so I can do my job? No. So I've gone the route of a VPN. Uh it's easier than you think. Google Chrome extension. Okay. I'm just gonna be honest. That's why I've been watching the Tigers. Not ideal. Not ideal. YouTube TV Sinclair, I hope you guys cut a deal soon. Uh anyway, <laughs> Badoo, Badu. By the way, the whole country
0: roots for that. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> is upset. Everybody's upset yeah. about this.
1: Uh Badoo. Here's the thing I learned about Akil Badoo uh defensively. This guy's do not have a good arm. Um yeah, he has an outfield assist that, 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 uh, ball actually hopped its way to second base. Uh, we saw Badu make a a pretty poor throw in from, I believe it was right field. I think we've seen some, some people test his arm in center. Like I'm talking like, I'm really not impressed with his arm, like some Johnny Damon type stuff. Uh, I went back, I did a lot of research and reporting on Akil Badu this past week that'll hopefully materialize into a good story at some point. We'll see. Um. Scouts have really knocked his arm since high school, since the day he was drafted, and maybe it's improved a little bit, but his arm's not good. Um, I feel like we still haven't really seen him have to range around in center. I want to see more of him in center field. I think A.J. Hinch must agree, hence us seeing uh, Akil Badu in center. Defensively, is he ultimately a left fielder? That's That's, you know, just after a few games, that's kind of what my hunch is, which again... That's more pressure on him to uh, to hit. I like the way Badu has continued to approach his at-bats. It's kind of crazy that he only has one walk. Despite the second lowest chase rate on this team, uh, other than Robbie Grossman, he's had good plate discipline. He does swing and miss a lot. I think if his whiff, were, whiff rates were not so high, if he could foul off some more pitches, that would do him well. But I think he's also due to walk more. It's like kind of an outlier that he hasn't walked. Now, granted, his strikeouts have uh, have really ticked up. Teams are continuing to work him hard in soft away, which in Houston he handled better than I thought. You know, he he crushed it, but in Oakland he struggled a little bit. I think I've seen him get a little bit off balance in his swing. Again, probably what we could all expect out of out of a Rule Five pick uh, adapting to life in the big leagues. Uh, I'll be interested to see only how 20. he handles this lull, which is a little bit more extreme. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how he how he responds to it.
0: And I will say this, I don't know if this is backed up statistically, but I feel like when he strikes out looking, it's usually on a tweener pitch, like kind of could go either way, maybe based on the umpire's preference. He doesn't tend to strike out looking on, you know, fastballs down the middle that he just gets frozen by. I I I don't know, like I said, I don't know if that's backed up statistically, but I look at those strikeouts as at least signs of a mature plate approach.
1: Yeah, and I must say the home plate umpiring in this Oakland series has been just awful. And I'm not a guy who likes Crazy. to ever blame the umpire. Again, I think we should have robo umps because why do we want god-awful calls? Um, but I'm not also not a guy who's like, okay, like, there are going to be calls that don't go your way. That's part of life, like... We went to Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma State basketball fans love to say, oh, the refs hate OSU. And it's like, no, they don't. Sometimes there's some calls that were probably not the rec- correct call, and that's what happens. Sometimes your team also benefits from incorrect calls. But this home plate umpiring has been abysmal. I think the dude has been a victim of it a couple times. It is. It's a, uh, a sign of a mature eye.
0: Nico yeah, won you know, really bad football. yesterday yeah. on Saturday.
1: And uh, Jose Urania. I mean, benefited from some balls that were out of the strike zone, had one of the better starts of his career, thanks to some favorable calls from the home plate umpire. So it's gone both ways. Uh, It is a good sign with Badu. I was talking with one of Badu's old hitting coaches uh, this week, and he was like, yeah, his eye something. Your eye doesn't even show up until you're at the the pro level, you know, because umpires aren't good in high school or college or maybe even the minors. And as we've seen this week, even the majors. I wonder if that's a thing we've talked about with Torkelson, like, we saw him strike out looking a lot in spring training, and I, I think he never had to have the high school approach of like protect the plate with two strikes, probably because he was crushing the ball out of the yard all the time. Um, in the majors, you don't necessarily see guys protect the plate with two strikes a lot because you want to trust having a good eye. Miguel Cabrera is a great example. Um, I, I think it's a good sign that Badu's taken some of those pitches.
0: Uh, circle back to injuries real quick. Miguel Cabrera, we're not going to see him this week. Is that kind of the indication?
1: Uh, we're not going to see him in the Pirates series, which is the first part of this homestand. Hinch has said he's get, basically going to evaluate Miggy on a series to series basis. They hope Miguel can take some BP on the field. When the Tigers return home, uh, he's already taken some grounders. So I wouldn't be shocked if we see him by the weekend, or maybe because it's Miguel, if the Tigers want to be cautious, you know, a week from now. But. So far, at least if we take uh, take A.J. Hinch's word, it sounds like Miguel is on a good trajectory to, to be back fairly soon. Which will create some interesting roster questions, by the way. What do you do with Renato Nunez? Uh, it sounds like the Tigers are going to roll with 14 pitchers for a while. So you're going to have a short bench with Miguel Cabrera, you know, doing the first base DH thing. I'm not sure exactly how they're going to handle that. My gut tells me that probably doesn't bode well for Harold Castro, except you look at it, you're you're going to be shorter on infield death. So maybe you do have to send Nunez down, even though I think he's made a pretty good I was about to say, hand, I feel like he's so. kind of earned the right I to stay. I think he should stay. I mean, I thought he should have been on the roster to open the season. And yep. I think he's, he showed he can hit. He's actually looked really good defensively at first base. Um, it's going to be some tough decisions. I'm not sure how it's going to shake out, and I think the Tigers probably aren't either. They're going to let things play itself out. Again, if you're if you're Jacoby Jones, if you're Victor Reyes, like you might want to have a good week because I don't know how things are going to shake out. I guess you do have to have four outfielders now, though, with hurt. So tough decisions.
0: These decisions, how much of this is AJ and Al? Is there a percentage with it, or is it all basically AJ's jurisdiction? <laughs> like, how does that usually break down?
1: I wish I knew the answer to that one. AJ, I know you're listening. You can you can tell me. We can talk about how this goes down. Uh, I know under Ron Gardenhire, I think there was a pretty clear separation of church and state where Al in the front office really handled the roster moves and Gardy was just like, I'm going to manage whoever you give me. I think that went for even in-season decisions, major league players, I, I get the sense A.J. Hinch was, number one, hired with the understanding that he was going to have a little more say, and I think the Tigers front office wants Hinch to have a little more say. It's probably a stretch to say Hinch is making all the calls right now, because I don't think that's true, uh, but I think A.J. Hinch has much more influence in these roster decisions than, uh, than Ron Garden hired did, and I think that's by design, and I think Al is absolutely okay with that, because, because Hinch is really smart and he, uh, he respects his opinion.
0: And rounding out the the injury notes, it looks like we're on the verge of seeing Spencer Turnbull.
1: Yeah, yeah, Turnbull threw at the alternate site this past week. I saw some videos. Go check out uh, Roger Castillo on Twitter if you haven't. Looks like his ball was moving all over the place. Turns out he actually struggled with command, gave up a couple runs. Um, But we'll see. It sounds like there's a chance Turnbull returns against the Pirates. A.J. Hinch said that's uh, in pencil for now. But we're going to see Turnbull soon, if not, against the Pirates, which creates another question. Is it actually time for a six-man rotation? Again, I don't know the answer to that one. My indication is yes, because who else are you going to boot from this rotation right now? I think the reason it's in pencil is like there could be another injury, so you don't ever want to lay things out in case someone gets hurt. But I wouldn't be shocked if we see a six-man rotation with an eight-man bullpen and see the Tigers go heavy on pitching here for a little bit.
0: I know it was just spring training, but it's been so long since we've seen Spencer. Can you can you recall how he looked in some of his spring outings?
1: Oh, it does seem like it's been a while. I've, I've slept since then. I've drank a few beers since then. Like, I don't even... Here's what I know. We keep forgetting that Spencer Turnbull is really good, that he he had a, a sub-4 ERA last year, that he's probably the best pitcher on this staff. Um I think that's the thing to remember. This is a really good break for the team. Uh, I think I talked about it on the Athletics Fantasy Podcast a little bit, but like if you're a fantasy owner, like don't forget about Spencer Turnbull. Like that might be a pretty guy, pretty good guy for you to pick up. We'll see if it takes him a while to ease back in, seeing as he's been thrown out of whack. He had to throw at the alternate training site. That might be a little thing, especially for a guy like Turnbull who can who can get in his own head a little bit. Uh, but this guy's got crazy good stuff. The way his his. Uh, his fastball and slider play off each other is really fun to watch. Yeah, his command's probably never going to be exactly elite, but Turnbull can have some really good outings. I think that's good news for this staff. And hasn't it been a surprise to see starting pitchers work deep into games? I think that's been very encouraging to see. We didn't see it last year. Even Mize uh, on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, even even Mize when he struggled. I mean, he went there... I talked to Mize about that after the game. He got through the third and the fourth and pitched into the fifth, which I don't know if he would have been able to do um, a year ago. Credit to Casey for having some composure there, despite not having a very good outing. Now, the flip side, the bullpen, we've already talked about Joe Jimenez. The bullpen in general has been very bad, and it has kind of undermined some of the good efforts we've seen from these starters.
0: And speaking of good efforts, assessment of Michael Fulmer starting against the Astros. He went... Five innings allowed uh, three runs, two runs, two runs, three hits, had a couple strikeouts. And one of the more feel-good stories of the first part of this week, uh, as the Tigers were going uh, going for the sweep against the Astros.
1: <laughs> During that game, some of you guys will get a kick out of this. I I messaged uh, Chandler Rome of the Houston Chronicle, and I said, Bregman for Fulmer? <laughs> <laughs> which supposedly was a deal that may or may not have been talked about in 2017 back when uh back when Fulmer was still a rising star and that's that's kind of what he looked like the other night against the Astros I mean I think his fastball hit 97 was sitting 95 96 his slider was phenomenal it was the best outing uh I've seen out of Michael Fulmer since I began covering the team and not only that he did it you know in a starter's role he he sustained that velocity throughout the start. I thought it was super encouraging for Michael Fulmer. He's been uh, he's been fun to watch. I hope he's able to continue it.
0: And something that I kind of got a kick out of was... Uh, so Tigers fans, obviously frustrated with the long rebuild. At least they are not, we are not Yankees fans who threw baseballs onto the field on Friday... <laughs> Um, they're frustrated something that i think is worth mentioning there's a lot of teams playing under 500 baseball right now a lot of teams that had higher expectations than than the tigers who are who are struggling and i and most of the divisions i just did a quick glance the only team above 500 is typically the division leader there's a lot of 500 and below i, I know it's really early but is there anything to the fact that like a lot of teams are kind of struggling to find their way right now
1: what uh? What what month is it?
0: It is mid-April.
1: I think it's going to be fine. I think there's nothing to it at all. I think sometimes teams get off to slow starts. I think the New York Yankees will be just fine. I think the Atlanta Braves will be just fine. I think a lot of these other, the Cubs, I'm a little bit worried about the Cubs.
0: <laughs> they hit Cubs, about as well as Detroit.
1: When <laughs> <laughs> you have Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo in your lineup, and you hit about as well as Detroit, and Wilson Contreras. I'm worried about the Cubs, but, like, the Braves, the Yankees, some of these other teams, they're going to be just fine. Give 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 things time to play out, guys. I was not a fan of the Yankees fans throwing stuff on the field. Uh, you know, Lindsey Adler said it was embarrassing for the organization and the team and everyone associated. I wasn't sure if that was, like, the baseballs being thrown on the field or the play or a combination of both. Yeah, the Yankees have been really bad. Yeah, they have a huge payroll that Yankees fans think should be higher, which is which is interesting. Yeah, they think they think and, the ownership is cheap. <laughs> <laughs> um, that must be nice. That must be nice. What a different reality it would be to cover the Yankees. Um, it would be intense. It would be. This would be a much different podcast. We'd be breaking down every decision, every major league player, every game. Would a lot more yelling. Matters. A lot more yelling and be kind of fun. But uh, it's April. You're the Yankees. You have a really good team. It's going to be all right.
0: All right. It's April. Is it going to be all right for Willie Castro, who has a couple multi-hit games? More more goose egg Ooh. at the plate than multi-hit games so far this season. And, you know, he's got that spot at the top of the lineup. But I have to think, given what we've talked about with AJ, I'm not sure that that's a guarantee you know you use pen to put him at the top of the lineup here going forward
1: yeah his chase rate's been really high again his batting average when balls in play was like 50 points higher than anyone else in the league last year this guy was due to regress and i know he hits the ball hard and he hits line drives and he looks good in spring training i do think there's a sustainable major league bat there for willie castro but like I don't know. I think I think it's entirely possible that we got spoiled a little bit by the way Castro performed um, last year and in spring training. We're seeing the other side of that. I think he's going to pick it up as we go along here, but I don't know that he's going to hit three hundred this year. I never thought he was a, really a three hundred hitter. I think this a guy who can hit for some decent average, but he needs to walk a little more. How much power is he going to hit for? I've I've had that question since the start of the year. And I'm going to go on my Willie Castro defensive tangent just because. Look, I was going to ask, guys, is there a
0: major league uh, shortstop
1: there? No. Like, I know this guy's, This guy's a major league baseball player. He's a far better athlete than I ever will be. But, like, the first time I saw Willie Castro play shortstop, I went to watch a game in A Toledo, and Jordy Mercer was doing a rehab assignment. And I was writing about, like, Willie, Jake, Daz, some of these guys who were on the precipice of the majors at the time in 2019. And the thing was, okay, like, is Castro's defense good enough? So I watched him take infield, just basic infield. And the difference between Jordy Mercer, who was a below-league-average shortstop metrically, and Willie Castro was, like, night and day. Like, Jordy Mercer's footwork was so much better. He was quicker. He was smoother. It's been two years since then. Willie Castro's footwork has not really improved. I don't care how many drills he does with the pancake glove. He continues to glide throws toward first base. A very simple thing... When you're turning a double play, you know, middle infielders are known for having quick hands, for turning a double play. Watch next time Lily Castro turns a double play. He has his glove up, and he has his right hand to his side, and he catches the ball, and then he brings his hand up, and then he throws. It's one of the slowest double play turns I've ever seen from a Major League shortstop, and I think it's cost the Tigers a couple times. That's something that can be coached, and that should have been corrected a long time ago. it, It confounds me to see him continue to go up with with one hand and then do this long, slow turn. It's a very simple motion that uh, most major league middle infielders have down. So, like, there are just some basic things that I think Willie Castro is a second baseman. And I'm I'm going to stand by that. And in three years, when he is Marcus Simeon and wins the gold glove, we can, uh, you know, you can at me, old takes exposed.
0: and. And if you want to see those uh, predictions in real time, it's at Cody Stamenhagen on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, even at second base, not all that stuff's going to be like rectified, and Whoa. it's like, and it's like I said with the whole tackling on defense or whatever. It's like, you know, how much time do you feel like as a major league coach do you have to spend on something that should have been taught as a teenager and you know corrected as a high schooler or? You know, going through the academies and and really through the minor leagues, like focused on, and then you get to the bigs, and we're still talking about it.
1: Yeah, and, and second base doesn't suddenly make him a uh, a better defender. It's like maybe you can just kind of stash him at second a little easier. It's not viewed as the premium defensive position that shortstop is. I actually heard someone on MLB Network this week talking about maybe we're we're overvaluing shortstop defense because of the way the shift has change things maybe it's not as important um that was kind of the first time i had heard that that sentiment i'd like to look more into it see if there are numbers that support that so like maybe that's some justification for leaving willie castro at short but again the reason willie castro is playing shortstop is because the tigers believe he can hit and if you have a shortstop who can hit you're in good shape um he's gonna have to start hitting otherwise then we then we have to really kind of reevaluate what we're doing. And we saw Nico Goodrum return to shortstop for one game in Houston. Nico Goodrum is a good defensive shortstop. He looks good. He's smooth. He's
0: smooth, man.
1: I want to see Nico Goodrum at shortstop more. Nico, by the way, has been hitting, uh, picked things up with the bat a little bit, which has been encouraging to see.
0: Yeah, and to be honest, when he's, at, when he's batting from the right side, I'm pretty interested in, in what's going to happen.
1: Yeah. He's got a couple hits from the left side too here. He's definitely a way better hitter from the right. There's no doubt about that. The numbers support it big time. Um but I don't know, like Nico's been a guy that the fan base has kind of liked to be down on and like to be criticized and granted his at-bats at the start of the year were bad, but I watched this guy and I'm like I know we're trying to develop Willy Castro here, but Nico at short, Willy Castro at second it makes a lot of sense to me.
0: Well, speaking of middle infield, as I kind of look toward the MLB draft, there's a lot of guys at the top that, depending on who who you look to for draft rankings and analysis, there's a lot of guys up there that could be in play for the uh, for the Detroit Tigers. Any kind of names intrigue you uh, that the Tigers might look at?
1: Um, yeah, I mean the Tigers are are looking at everybody, but. I've heard they've become really interested in, in Marcelo Meyer, the uh, high school shortstop out of California, really intriguing athlete. I think the tigers uh, are thought to have been, you know, honing in on him. They're also pretty interested in Brady house. Who is a guy who's been really rising up the draft boards, even though he's a prep player, but reminds me of Heston Kerstad a little bit last year and just the way he continues to creep up. Um, I, I think they want to see him farewell against some higher level pitching but I think Brady House is really interesting. His glove might be a little bit of a question if he's like probably a third baseman at the big leagues. Even though you want to draft best player available, do you really want to draft another third baseman where you already have a, a log jam coming up? I think that's interesting. But again, I stand by the take. If Kumar Rocker is there at three, are you really going to pass on him? I know his velo was down. Scouts had knocked him for that. Well, Rocker came back uh, this past week and was sitting between 93-96 and uh, made the rounds for a rather intriguing Twitter video.
0: Yes, yeah, so he strikes a guy out on a 3-2 fastball that hit 96. They were playing Tennessee. Good program, by the way. And he's uh, kind of talking to himself, talking to the world, basically. He's talking to everybody. He's talking, he talking to you, me, yeah, it's like Keith Law. He says, I'm here. <laughs> I'm effing here, and he didn't say effing, so I watched that video, and I was like, oh god, inject that into my veins, like, that just feels like a guy that would be a quick folk hero in Detroit if he brought that kind of attitude to the mound, and honestly, you combine that with, like, his stature, I mean, that that feels pretty Detroit.
1: Oh, it absolutely does. Uh, and again, I, it'd be tough to advocate for drafting rocker if he's throwing 91 the rest of the year, but seeing him back at 96, I think he has a, a, a durable frame. I like his big body. Like, I think, I think that 6'5" 250
0: by the way, like big sign guy. me up
1: for that. Like let's strengthen him up a little bit, make sure he doesn't gain weight, but I'm, I'm going to remain on the Kumar rocker train for now. Um, and Marcelo Meyer intrigues me a lot too, and I know he's caught the Tigers' eye. But let's not write off Kumar Rocker. I think he's here. He's effing here, and I think he he reminded everyone of that this past week.
0: Well, well, Meyer's listed. I'm just looking at MLB pipeline, so or you know the prospect rankings. So I don't know how accurate these are, especially for a high school kid. But they list him at six three one eighty.
1: It's a frame that's going to fill out a lot. Riley Green can testify to that. How
0: do we view? size at shortstop like is is there is there still like the old school thinking is that you don't want to get too big or did like the Derek Jeter's and the Alex Rodriguez's and the Nomar Garcia Paras of the world back in that generation those were the first like big shortstops Cal Rickman Jr. that kind of switched the position but I don't I don't know how scouts and coaches kind of look at what the ideal size is for shortstop considering that you know it's still a a position that you gotta you gotta be quick on your feet you gotta be able to move
1: yeah i mean there's still um you know there's seeker there's still some bigger shortstops out there it is like can you outgrow shortstop like that is still a question like daniel pinero and the tiger system played way more shortstop than you would ever think by looking at him and i think that's a guy who's maybe outgrown shortstop uh, 6'3", like I don't know. I don't think it's about size. I think it's ha- about how you move. I haven't seen this kid in person, so I'm not going to uh, speculate on how he moves. I think he's viewed as a guy who they hope can stick at short. He's obviously going to bulk up from 180, but if he's 6'3", 2'10", and good on his feet, like I think that's an ideal shortstop. I mean, you and me uh, grew up in Texas when Arod was playing shortstop for the Rangers, and so I've always... I don't know. I've just liked the idea of a big athletic shortstop maybe because it looks cool. I don't know why, but like we kind of came up in that generation with a rod with Garcia Parra. I don't think it's about your size. I think it's about how you move. If you get so big where you're not moving well, then that's when you hit, that's when you have to move.
0: So we've come to the food portion of the podcast and with the Kansas city Royals coming up, I was prepared to do some Casey barbecue talk. There's a restaurant That I went to uh, on a recent trip to Kansas City, that was by far the best, but no one talks about it. I have a friend who lives in that area, and he recommended it to me. I'm not gonna say right now because I think eventually I'm gonna, you know, be able to talk about it. But I ordered on Amazon their barbecue sauce, which is really good, and it came like busted in the package, so it's like sauce everywhere, like on my front step, and so. I, I can't I can't give a KC barbecue uh, recommendation. I I will try it again. And I'm not gonna close the door on that. But uh, I'm sorry to have failed you, Cody. I had I had a good KC barbecue rep- uh, recommendation, but I don't have it. But I will I promise eventually.
1: I'm sorry guys. I feel like I've been in like hot take mode today. I, maybe I'm doing too many podcasts. I'm becoming like skid or something. I, I, God I hope not. Um, let me let me give you a hot take. Let me tell you what's vastly overrated. Kansas City barbecue. I've been to Kansas City. I, uh, I've i spent a decent amount of time in Kansas City. I've had Oklahoma Joe's, which Oklahoma, Kansas City, why is the best place? Anyway, that's a whole other conversation. Oklahoma Joe's, Jack yeah. Stack, Arthur Bryant's, a lot of the the bigger popular ones. I find it dry. I find it dry. It's no surprise to me that they would send you sauce that's uh burst. I mean, I don't, maybe they should burst the sauce in their kitchen. They put more sauce on there like we do in Texas. I'm not surprised by the failure in Kansas city barbecue. I, I like Kansas city. It's a cool city, but uh, I think the barbecue is just vastly, vastly overrated. Let me tell you my own barbecue failure though. I go into Meyer this week. I'm like, What's a sauce I can recommend on the podcast? Something you can easily find in Michigan. You can just go to your normal Meijer. And I go to the barbecue sauce aisle, and I'm looking. I'm like, okay, well, we got Stubbs, which we talked about last week. We got Sweet Baby Ray's, which we talked about last week. And then I'm like, okay, we got, uh, like, some something Like, I'm not going to buy that. We got KC Masterpiece. That's KC. I'm not buying that. And I was just very disappointed with the selection that's available at your average grocery store in Michigan. Nothing really caught my eye. And so I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go order a Texas barbecue sauce. I look at Pecan Lodge in Dallas, my favorite barbecue place in the world. They they don't sell their sauce. I look at uh, Salt Lick outside Austin, which... A good Texas barbecue aficionado will tell you that's an overrated place, but it's still a cool place. I've been there once. I don't even remember what the sauce tastes like, so it was a long time ago, but I'm like, I'm going to order this. They sell a cool pack. It's got regular, spicy, and a dry rub in it for like 19 bucks. I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. And uh, then I find out that the shipping is like $21, and I was like, (laughs) just out of principle, I'm not going to pay more for the shipping than I am the actual sauce. So I didn't do that. So I don't have a barbecue sauce recommendation for you. What I'm going to do is try out a local Detroit spot coming up soon. I'm going to recommend to you Clint's Texas Salsa. My favorite salsa, Clint's Texas Salsa. It's not too chunky. Get the hot. Don't get the medium. I'm told it's available at like one of the, uh, the specialty Myers around here. You can find it easily online. You can find it very easily in Texas. Clint's Texas Salsa is my recommendation for you this week.
0: I have a food take, though. I'll supplement the recommendation with a food take. I don't understand people who love spicy or really hot chicken wings that (laughs) dunk, and I mean dunk them in ranch. That doesn't compute to me because you say you like the hot flavor, but you don't even eat it without putting a cooling agent on it. And like, I I guess if you like, you know, ranch flavor, that's like, that's one thing. But if you say that, oh, yeah, you know, give me the hottest meter you have, you go to a chicken wing place and then you dunk in ranch. Are you even like tasting like the full effect of spicy or hot flavor? Like that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't get it. My fiance does it. I don't get it.
1: It's an interesting take, Kieran. You've seen me order wings with, uh, with ranch before. I like just like the taste of ranch. I guess um, I don't always get super spicy wings, um, but sometimes it does help to have a little cooling agent for when you need it if your mouth starts overheating. But I will say, thankfully, many years ago, you set me straight, and and bone-in wings are far better, and it's just, like, hard to dip the bone-in wings, so I usually will dip it, like, once, and I end up not even using the ranch that much. It's just kind of, like, there, and I'll do a couple bites with the ranch, so. um, And again, if you like
0: the flavor, I'm not criticizing liking ranch as a flavor. I'm just saying, like, if you, you know, brag about how you just love spicy food, and then the first thing you do is you nullify it on every bite. I just I'm just saying that doesn't make any sense to me. So that that's my wing take. That's my supplement for a uh, for a food uh, barbecue recommendation. <laughs> Next week, Cody, we're gonna do a and A podcast. So when we publish this one, we'll say send us your questions. Give you a couple days to send it to us. You can DM me, DM the uh, Turn Corner at Turn Corner Pod Twitter page. You can hit up Cody at Cody Stavenhagen. I'm at Kieran underscore Steckley. We're gonna do basically all Q and A. So please send us your questions and and we'll do uh, we'll do a podcast in that fashion. So the Tigers are off tomorrow, Cody. Monday. You got
1: any plans for your off day? Yes, we got a plan. We got another date lined up. Uh, a, Same girl? Uh, a new young lady? Uh, no, new one. New one. <laughs> as we discussed. Uh, hopefully this one is not too busy. We'll see. She she agreed to a date on a Monday when the Tigers are off. I And granted, I actually suggested this weekend, I, I thought I could do um, after Saturday's day game. She had some plans with friends. She's like, is there another day that would work for you? And It was like Monday, and she agreed. So that sounds promising. First date, going to try to go in with uh, no expectations, not get too high, not get too low, take it one date at a time. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, hopefully good news. We'll see. Might be terrible. I don't know. Well,
0: is there a Taylor Swift song that kind of personifies your mood as you are on the eve of this first date?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Mostly joking around here, but as much as I don't want to set expectations, I do think you kind of have to be optimistic. So the dating process isn't, process isn't very fun. Uh, Taylor Swift on the Red album, Begin Again. The Red, Red's kind of a breakup album, and I think it's the last song on the album, you know, it's, it's talking about how you could find new love at any time, and the song, it says, On a Wednesday in a cafe, I watched it begin again. This date won't be a Wednesday, it won't be in a cafe. But uh, you never know when someone new and important could walk into your life, as have you have been lucky enough to experience. So I'm going to go with begin again and at least try to be optimistic um, about the dating process.
0: Oh, there you go. Well, good luck to you on that date. We will do, like I said, the question and answer podcast next week. Let's see how the Tigers perform bouncing back from, like I said earlier, a roller coaster of a week so for Kieran Steckley that is Cody Stavenhagen thank you for listening